where we're continuing this track of following Jesus to the cross, look at Mark chapter 14 and 15, paying close attention to what, attention to what Jesus says and does uh, because he's uh, giving us examples to follow. Last Sunday we talked about betrayal, big topic, how Peter betrayed Jesus, how Jesus dealt with Peter's betrayal, how Jesus deals with our betrayal, and then how we can follow Jesus' example and forgive those who betrayed us. And uh, if you missed last Sunday, if betrayal's been a big part of your life and it's a struggle for you, you might want to uh, go on the website and listen to that one and kind of get some things figured out with God's help. Today we're talking about persecution. It was uh, an expected part of New Testament Christian life. And it's something that uh, many Christians around the world deal with today. And here's why. Because throughout the history of the church, the beginning of Jesus' death and resurrection, Christians pledge our full allegiance only to Jesus. Our highest allegiance is him. So, and oftentimes that puts us at odds with what our culture is doing or it puts us at odds with what our government is doing. And that can result in persecution. It has since the beginning of the church. So the Greek New Testament word that we translate in English as persecution, is this is what it means. Persecution is a program or process designed to harass and oppress. So if someone smirks because you, you mentioned going to church, that's not persecution. If someone rolls your eyes at you because you prayed before lunch, that's not persecution. Persecution is a program or process designed and applied to a geographic area Targets all Christians, they're all harassed, they're all oppressed. That's persecution. And it's been a part of the church since the beginning. We'll get a little feel for this by simply reading about what happened to Jesus. Mark chapter 15. That starts with getting the Romans involved. This is Jesus' trial before Pilate. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders and teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. The high council had already decided Jesus needs to die because he says he's the son of God and they don't believe him. And in Jewish law, nobody can say they're God but God, and since they don't think he is, he needs to die. Only the Romans can put a man to death. So the high council brings Jesus to Pilate to persuade Pilate to carry out their death sentence. They're going to get somebody else to do their dirty work and their hands will stay clean. So they think. And then blatant persecution. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That was the charge. Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? The high council wants Jesus dead because he says he's the son of God, the Messiah, and they don't believe it. But the Romans could care less. So that charge won't, Pilate doesn't care, but if they tell Pilate he says he's the king of the Jews, that would be competition with Caesar, that would be treason, and he might go for that, and they could get Jesus killed that way. So they bring a charge against Jesus to Pilate that they don't even care about. Persecution. And Pilate pushes Jesus to respond because in the Roman system of, 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 of court hearing, Pilate's running the show. He's the judge. Uh, he decides everything. Witnesses are brought. And the accused stands right there. And you get to defend yourself. 
You get to defend yourself. And Pilate pushes Jesus. Aren't you going to say something? Defend yourself. But Jesus is silent. But Jesus said nothing. Much to Pilate's surprise. Pilate's done a lot of these trials. It's his job. And the accused always defends himself. Always. They always proclaim their innocence. Sometimes in a moderate tone, sometimes they yell and shout. But they always proclaim their innocence and defend themselves. Jesus says nothing. Well, Pilate's beginning to put some pieces together. He's shrewd. And he begins to realize the religious leaders, they don't care that he's king of the Jews. They're jealous of Jesus. Jesus has more of a following. He has more influence. They want Jesus dead. So Pilate begins to realize there's a maneuver he can make to try and get himself and Jesus out of the situation. There's a possible way out. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner. Anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. Pilate shrewd, he goes, the crowd, they're all Jews. I'll just say, don't you want me to release to you your king of the Jews? And they'll say yes, and Jesus will be set free, and I'll get out of the middle of this mass. And I'm using this annual tradition that we do every year, and it's going to work well. But it doesn't. The plan goes bad, and Pilate caves. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowds to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call king of the Jews? You're a king. They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared back even louder, crucify him. So, to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Crowds are easily swayed. And the religious leaders got their people planted and they get the right words going. All of a sudden the crowd is crying out for Barabbas, not Jesus. And Pilate tries this one last ploy. He basically says, this guy says he's your king. Don't you want your king set free? And they yell at him, crucify him. And they yell again and again and again. And Pilate gives up convicts Jesus to death sentences, has him flogged with a lead-tip whip, which is, uh, which is uh, uh, a piece of wood about this long, cylindrical, with leather thongs on the end, and on the tip of the leather thongs are tied pieces of lead. And you're whipped with that on your back. And sometimes people died from that. So he's flogged, then he's going to be led to death. Ultimate persecution. He's innocent of everything, but he's going to be put to death. So Jesus experiences this Unjust, unfair persecution, and so do his followers. Early Christians experienced persecution. It was normal in the New Testament church. Sometimes it was throughout the whole Roman Empire. Then it would kind of calm down a little bit. Oftentimes it was just localized in this province or this province. Most, uh, Jewish Christian, most Christians at the beginning were Jews, 
And when you believe in Jesus the Messiah and, and your rabbi and your synagogue doesn't, they kick you out and they, they disown you and you're on your own. Sometimes you lost a job. Sometimes people wouldn't support your business because you followed Jesus. Sometimes you ended up in jail. Sometimes it meant you lost your life for your faith. It's called martyrdom. So persecution isn't a smirk or a laugh or a joke about you and that you pray or go to church. Persecution is a program or a process in a culture or government designed to harass and oppress followers of Jesus. And this happens in numbers of nations of our world today. For instance, China, North Korea, Afghanistan, India, Egypt, and the list kind of goes on. Early Christians experienced persecution, and we still do in the world today. And Jesus knows this. He's told his disciples. He warned them. He said, I've told you all this so that you will have peace in me. We're not going to get our peace in life from everything going just fine all the time. It doesn't. We find our peace in Jesus. And Jesus said, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. So just expect it. But take heart because I have overcome the world. So we overcome the hardship, the persecution, the difficult stuff, not because we're strong, because we're not. We overcome because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has overcome the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the devil. He has overcome. And so he lifts us up and enables us to overcome. Jesus knew what he was talking about. I'm going to take you on a quick trip, a few verses through the next 60 years of New Testament history. And you'll find that in all the early churches, everybody is familiar with persecution. The very year in that Jesus was raised and ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read these, these words. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The threat or harm of jail or harassment was so great, all the believers just left Jerusalem. They had to leave. They became refugees, not from war, but because of their faith. They scattered and spread. Actually, that's how the church spread. They took the message of Jesus with them. 17 years after that, Paul writes a letter to the church in Thessalonica, and persecution is still going on. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In the same way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who, because of their belief in Jesus, suffered from their own people. Again, Jewish believers got thrown out of the synagogue, disowned by their families, thrown out of the Jewish community. They're disowned, disavowed, shunned, harassed. It's happened to them. Five years after that letter, the Apostle Paul just writes about his own life experience. He wrote, That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, Paul's not complaining. He's just stating the facts of what he's been through as a church planner driving around Asia Minor. And he's letting us know that through persecution, he has learned to rely on God's strength, not his own strength. Just part of Paul's experience. Eight years after that, the apostle Peter wrote to the Christians that he's kind of in charge of his churches he's working with. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. 
So early Christians understood Jesus followed the Father's plan for his life. There was involved, persecution was involved, suffering was involved, and they knew if they're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be some suffering and persecution along the way. But that doesn't have the last word because Jesus comes back, his glory, and they get to be a part of that. So they keep their eye focused on that. Two years later, Paul writes a letter to a pastor he's mentoring named Timothy. Simple, short sentence. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Period. That's the way it works. Our highest allegiance is to Jesus. We don't live in a world that operates that way. It's, there's going to be some times when our culture, our government, doesn't like what we're doing. 20 years after that letter, the Apostle John has this vision, the same vision I read, read from the beginning of worship called the book of Revelation. In the middle of the book, and this is a, a vision about the end of time, the battle of good and evil and how Jesus wins and God sets up his new kingdom. It's a great story, great vision. But in the middle of it, there are, there's a verse that I think is the most important words in all of Revelation. Most people read over them. It reads this way. It's all these hard things going on for God's people. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands, and maintaining their faith in Jesus Christ. John doesn't say, you better panic. Uh, it's going to be bad. You know, you should be afraid. He says, no. No. Endure persecution patiently. Keep doing the right thing. Keep obeying God. And then maintain your faith in Jesus. Be faithful to Jesus. We don't follow Jesus so life will be easy. We follow Jesus because he's the only one worth following. This is very important because our culture actually does it backwards. We do not follow Jesus so life will be easy. We follow Jesus because he's the only one worth following. Persecution does something very interesting. It has from the beginning of the history of the church and well up until Jesus returns. Persecution purifies the church. Let's just think about this. If we follow Jesus because he's going to make our life easy, when persecution comes and our life gets hard, we're gone. Because we're not following Jesus to make life hard. We want it to be easy. And so we just leave. But if we follow Jesus because he's the Messiah from God, the one from God who will save us, the Son of God who through his death and resurrection has defeated the power of sin, death, and the devil, the risen Lord who returns at the end of all time to create a new heaven and a new earth, giving new resurrection bodies to his followers, if that's why we follow Jesus, we have discovered Jesus is the only one worth following. And when persecution comes, it doesn't matter. We stay on track. Persecution purifies the church. Cultural Christians in times of persecution leave. Followers of Jesus stay. So we're cultural Christians if we go to church because what's well, a good thing to do? We get to be part of the community. It's good for my kids. Respected people go to church. I can network and get to know them. We're pursuing the American dream and church helps us get there. It's part of the pieces of the puzzle. But when persecution comes and being a part of church doesn't help us meet the American dream, it actually gets in the way of it, we're gone. Because we never really served Jesus. We just wanted Jesus to serve us. That's a cultural Christian. But if we're in church because we're followers of Jesus, 
and we've pledged our full allegiance to Jesus as Lord or King. He is the one who has all authority because of his death and resurrection. And he, we've given him authority of our lives. He's the one who died and rose again. He's the one who forgives us. He's the one who leads us through life. When he returns, he'll give us new resurrection bodies to enjoy this new heaven and new earth. Jesus is the only one worth following. We will not renounce him. Whatever persecution or trials or hardship comes because we follow Jesus is nothing compared to what he has done for us and what he will do for us. Jesus is the only one worth following. So we stay faithful. Important story from uh, just kind of after New Testament history. Polycarp of Smyrna. This is uh, the modern town of Izmir in Turkey today. Polycarp lived there. He was a bishop, which means he was in charge of a number of churches in town. That was his job. He died on February 23rd, 155 AD. He died on a Roman holiday. Everybody in town is celebrating this Roman holiday throughout the empire. And in Smyrna on that day, that holiday, uh, 22,000 people, that's the entire population, more than the entire population of Watertown, gathered in a, to watch around an outside arena. And they had shows all day. And these fans were all bloodthirsty. And you'll see why. First show, show number one. Wild animals are released into the walled arena, and then hunters are brought in, and they hunt down and kill the wild animals in front of the spectators. That's show number one. Show number two, the gladiators come in, men trained in combat, and they fight each other to death. That's show number two. Then in the afternoon, the highlight for 22,000 spectators is that criminals were executed in front of them. So many criminals were slaves, some were war captives, some were murderers, guilty of bad crimes. Some, like Polycarp, had just refused to say Caesar is Lord and God. So he was executed. Now Polycarp, well respected in Smyrna, everybody knows him, he's 86 years old. All he had to do, all he had to do when he went, went before the, the Roman proconsul was to revile or curse Jesus Say, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, and his life is spared. Here's what happened. The proconsul said to Polycarp, take the oath, I will let you go. Just revile Christ. Polycarp answered, for 80 and 6 years I've been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. And how can I now blaspheme my king who saved me? And he refused. Polycarp understood the core of of New Testament biblical faith. Jesus is the Son of God. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus is Lord. He has all authority. Jesus is always faithful to his followers in this life and the life to come, and his followers will always be faithful to him. Caesar is nothing compared to Jesus. Caesar died, was buried, his body decayed, and the world moved on. Jesus, the Son of God, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. He comes back at the end. Polycarp will not deny Jesus who has saved him and will save him. He will not change his allegiance. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is. So, next step. This is really simple, but you may have never thought this one through before. Pledge your full allegiance. Your full allegiance 
to Jesus Christ as Lord. So these are familiar words for you, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And as followers of Jesus, that's fine to take the Pledge of Allegiance. God put us in this nation. We want this nation to do well. We want this nation to know God and serve God well. And we, we're, we, we pledge allegiance to this country for the sake of God. But as followers of Jesus Christ, our highest allegiance, our fullest allegiance is only given to Jesus Christ as Lord. Not to family, not to nation, not to community, not to political party. Those are all lesser allegiances. So you just need to settle that in your mind. That as a follower of Jesus, your fullest, highest allegiance is for Jesus only. He alone is Lord. Now this is always a challenge for Christians because we get our allegiances mixed up. This is happening over in Russia today. Russian Orthodox Church, followers of Jesus, a big part of the Russian Orthodox Church has pledged their allegiance to Putin, who has a vision of a greater, renewed Russia, and they put that allegiance higher than Jesus. It's an easy thing to happen. For instance, we, some of us have in reality, pledged our full allegiance to the American dream instead of Jesus. That's a dangerous place to be. So, second step, got to get that one down. It's very, very important. We're not persecuted in the U.S. now. We may someday, and you just need to be ready. Then pray for your persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Because about 360 million of our brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted. A program or process designed to harass and oppress them. This is from uh, Open Doors, just to give us a feel for what's going on. This is Cappadocia. First mentioned in the Book of Acts, an ancient home for Christians for thousands of years. But it isn't just a home, it's also a place of refuge. God has used this place to help Christians for hundreds of years. Christians fleeing invaders, persecution, and certain death. And here, walking in the footsteps of thousands of faithful Christians, I'm reminded of how God used this place to keep his church alive and growing. But in many countries around the world, this is not ancient history. Millions of Christians face this reality on a daily basis. When our Bible was found, it was immediately destroyed. And because we are Christians, we were exiled to a remote village with no chance of ever leaving. Believers from Iran. In Iran, when someone becomes a Christian, they reject you and would say, we do not want to have anything to do with you. I am a defiled and my life is considered filthy by them. Believers in Egypt, because we are Christian, ISIS started to break into our houses every couple of days. They tried to break into the house and target the men of the house. They burned them alive. Around the world today, over 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's one in seven Christians worldwide. 
the problem is impossible to overstate. And yet, each of those people who suffers has their own Cappadocia, a secret place that God has provided a refuge and peace, because no Christian suffers alone. Every morning when I open my eyes, I feel the presence of the Lord. And I thank our Father God that I'm still strong enough to be used as His servant. When brothers and sisters around the world stand with them, persecuted Christians know that even in the harshest of circumstances, they will not be forgotten and left without hope. That's part of our DNA as Christians. When you stand with God's persecuted people, you're bringing the reality of Cappadocia to Christians all over the world. Throughout everything, I thought to myself, there are people who love me and cry for my pain and suffering. Most importantly, pray for me. Because without God's power, you cannot tolerate This year, we've made it easier than ever for you to stand with your family in prayer with the 2022 World Watch List. As you read it, see what God does in your heart and what He does in the hearts of your brothers and sisters as He provides refuge, as He's done here in Cappadocia for over a thousand years. Join us in 2022, because we're one church, one family. But on Monday, we'll send out, on our, put on our Facebook page, also an email and text, a, a link to this church watch list so you can think about your brothers and sisters around the world who are now enduring persecution. Pray for them, their family, their brothers and sisters. And then I just want to close the giving you a prayer. Uh, say it to God each day. It will kind of help reset allegiances in your mind and heart. True God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forgive me for getting my allegiances mixed up Forgive me for expecting Jesus to follow me rather than surrendering to and following Jesus. I choose to join believers who throughout history say, Jesus is Lord, and to that we all say, Amen. Amen.